this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. Really aligning what you're doing, your actions with your deeply held values is is very much, you know, a successful strategy that you can adapt to lots of different types of tasks. So just as you've indicated, if you find it challenging to set aside the time to exercise, but you can reframe that mentally as you're actually serving the goals that you care about most, um, that's a great way to do it. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. It is Friday, the 24th of February. The month and the year is screaming past us. It is the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 82. Thank you for joining us. As always, we've got a fantastic show lined up for you. But before we get into the show, just want to welcome my regular co-host, Kate Frappel, who is the design lead at Manage Flitter. <laughs> Manage Flitter. Thanks for joining us, Kate. Thanks for having me. Um, we're not going to be. We're not periscoping today, so it actually feels a little bit um, naked. I'm so used to periscoping live and seeing the few people that pop up and the one or two mm. comments. Um, not periscoping today because we we're under a little time pressure. We uh, we don't. This is not our day job. But we do this as a a side effort, and sometimes um, the real world. Uh, gets in the way. Anyway, it's episode number 82 and um, we've got a great show lined up for you. Later on in the show, I chat uh, with Monique Valcor, who's an executive coach, management academic, Harvard Business Review contributor. And I talk with Monique about work-life balance. It's this term that gets thrown around a lot. It is spoken about a lot in our industry, in the tech startup world, in the professional world in general. And Monique's actually done some research around this. She has worked for many years with people around the issue of, and organizations around the issue of work-life balance, around burnout, things like that. So we're going to be chatting to her later on in the show. But as usual, we talk about some of the goings-ons in our fantastic fast moving industry. We talk about a couple of news items. Kate, this week, um, WhatsApp has is getting on the Snapchat Stories bandwagon. So Snapchat Stories, Snapchat's been around for a while, started out as the first ephemeral social media app where you could send people a photo with some text that would disappear over a period of time. And then they rolled out a feature called Stories where you could put one or many photos for all your Snapchat contacts, then this story, so to speak, would last for about tw- for 24 hours yeah. um, and then it would disappear. And a lot of other social media networks have been copying the stories idea, namely Instagram um, copied them. Um, I think even Facebook has some version that I haven't yeah. explored. And now WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, has announced that they launching something similar to Snapchat stories called Status. Yes. So the difference with uh, WhatsApp is that it's also encrypted, same as their messages. They released like a beta version in November and now they've gone uh, live, I guess, and everyone's starting to use it. And um, they said they're rolling it out globally. We've tried to check if it's on our phones. You've got an iOS. It hasn't been sent to yours. No. I've got an Android. hasn't been sent to mine. So they're obviously still busy rolling it out. Um, so we haven't had a chance to try it, unfortunately. But from the screenshots, it looks quite simple, quite straightforward. WhatsApp has got a huge user group um, ac- yeah. across the world. So it's going to be interesting to see the uptake of this feature. Uh, 1.2 billion users, to be exact. Um, 
And yeah, the interesting thing is that WhatsApp have users in parts of uh, South America, Eastern Europe and the developing world um, where Snapchat doesn't have traction yet. So this will be the first time that they interact with the, the idea of ephemeral content and disappearing photos and stories. It's going to be really interesting to see um, uh, the uptake of that. And Snapchat um, is going to be listing soon. So it's going to be, you know, they under a lot of pressure. The consumer, uh, social media moves very fast. They all get inspiration and copy each other. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be the last person standing at the end of the mm. day. And it's, it's, it's tricky when they start just copying each other, so to speak, you know. And, um, and yeah. I think Snap, will, uh, we mentioned on the last podcast, Snap's going to be okay if they don't get into this race, so to speak, of features and just keep on yeah, engaging with their users, building a brand and seeing what they can offer and trying to, to stay, you know, fresh and um, uh, uh, different, differentiate themselves, not just cloning each other. Yeah, the unfortunate thing for Snapchat is that they they started this idea. You know, they're one of the original people doing it, and uh, and Facebook and Instagram, WhatsApp, which are all owned by Facebook, have essentially copied them. So now they have to do the hard work to think of something that makes them different. Yeah, interesting. So I'm going to keep an eye on my my WhatsApp and uh, see if if. Uh, when I, we roll out that feature and we'll report back here. Another quite a, a fun story, Nokia. Now, for those of us old enough to, to predate the iPhone era of 2007, most of us at some stage had a Nokia, right? And Nokia announced that they're going to be relaunching um, the iconic 3310, which is that, that famous um, little LCD screened, you know, palm sized Nokia that we all had. I mean, I think I had many. Um, they sort of lasted forever. Yes. Um, so later on this month is the um, annual Mobile World Congress or conference. I think it happens in Spain, in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And they uh, a lot of these companies use this as an opportunity to um, launch new products and new initiatives. And um, this uh, 3310 is going to be relaunched at uh, Mobile World this month. Yeah, so um, there's been a, a leak by uh, someone called Evan Blass. Um, and he said that, yeah, they're introducing the 3310 alongside uh, some new Android-based smartphones, so Nokia 3, 6 and 5. So I can't help but think it's sort of a marketing ploy. Um, but at the same time, like there's plenty of sort of older markets that would enjoy a simple phone, I think. Yeah, and I think some people even, you know, there's been a bit of a, a backlash towards simplicity and some people might even just want a phone, um, you know, just to text maybe. I, I don't see younger generations really because people don't call anymore and they don't even text anymore. So um, for a lot of people mm. it will be pretty useless unless, yeah, they really only use it for calling or maybe someone very young, a young you know, yeah. a real a kid for a security per for safety purposes. They can it's teach almost, it. Yeah, you know, they have to, used to have the. Um, they used to market particular phones for kids so yep. that they couldn't, you know, rack up ridiculous bills and stuff like. And have one button or two buttons just yeah. to call home and call the police or something like that. Exactly, and and now in the age of smartphones, the the Nokia's is sort of that phone now. You know, if, so they're afraid of their kids racking up, um, you know, their bill on data. But now you could you could give them one that made calls and said texts, yeah, and give them thirty dollar prepaid, and that's it. 
I saw such a not going to cost them that much. I saw such a young kid on the train yesterday or the day before, trying to work out how young. It's hard for me to judge if this kid was seven, eight, nine, or ten, and um, he was chatting away on his fancy phone. It looked Mm. a little bit. (laughs) I was quite surprised that someone that young. What age do kids get phones these days? I don't know. I mean, I got my first Nokia actually when I started year seven, so the beginning of high school. Right. So that's year seven's about twelve, thirteen. Yeah, I was about 13 at the time. Yeah. It was probably the first color screen Nokia. Right. was my first phone. Right. And then this one, the 3310, uh, was probably the version before it because I know my parents had it. My first uh, mobile phone was um, a Motorola with the the flip sort of bottom, but it was a brick. Um, this was in the, the 90s. I do so, recall that. Yeah. And, um, but before that, even my father in South Africa was one of the first to have a car phone before mobile phones. Yeah. And it was so novel that people used to walk past his car and see the phone and it was mounted, right? Mm. And they would stop and they would look inside and they'd call their friends. And it's, it's hard to believe now. It sounds like a lifetime away. But people were incredibly intrigued by the fact that you had a phone in a mm. car. Yeah, I think my dad had one too. Yeah. I remember it. It was a big, big, black, chunky thing with one of those spirally cords. And it had to be installed properly yeah. and it was, yeah, it was better. But for people that were on the go a lot, it, it, even though the calls were very expensive, um, okay. it, was, it was quite useful for people that would um, work uh, from, from the car. So it's, um, it's come a long way. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing the, the 3310 would have to do at this stage is uh, make it compatible with a mobile sim, uh, modern SIM card, uh, connect it to the 4G network and possibly come up to speed with some modern messaging standards. And then otherwise, it's really selling itself on the durability and battery life. Battery life, of course. You know, everyone's critical of battery life and everyone thinks that, oh, battery life's so bad now, but it's not at all. Battery life's fantastic. It's just these things that we have full screens and all sorts of functionalities. Um, If you would use a modern Android or iPhone battery with one of those old Nokias, Mm. it would probably last for a year. Um, I'm not even exaggerating. It would be interesting to see. If you you keep your phone on airline mode, right, Mm. it basically just keeps on going. I've tried it even when my Android's on 1% and you put it on airplane mode. I'll just go for hours. The battery's life's actually really good. The consumption is just incredibly huge with yeah, our screens and, and the Wi-Fi and, and, and the strong 4G networks and the mm-hmm. processor that generates heat and things like that. It's true. Someone made a comment too that um, the benefit of the, the Nokias back in the day too was that everyone had basically the same phone and you could take the battery out. So you could pack multiple batteries yeah. or you could borrow your friend's battery and then like message from there or use your phone if you ran out of juice, you know. But now I mean, there's no way you can do that. They all glued in. I mean, even some of the early Android phones, um, you could swap batteries. Even with my mm. HTC a few years ago, you could carry multiple batteries and charge them up. And now they don't. I think maybe um, for water, um, I think if they seal the phone, it's mm. it, it makes it more watertight and it's, things don't move around. And so I don't know any mm. phones now these days where you can change the battery. But a few years ago, even you could. So, yeah, the, the phones, phones were much 
simpler back then. My favorite phone was still the Siemens SL35, I think it was called. It was a, it was a tiny phone, mm. robust as all hell, and it was one of the first phones that could play an MP3. Nice. And um, I used to impress my friends by just saying, come over here, put these headphones on, and they're like, is your phone playing music? And it's uh. not that long ago. I know, I know I sound like a dinosaur talking about these things, but <laughs> and actually, and I was checking email on there before anyone else, and people, wow. I would say, yeah, I was checking email on the ferry. By the time I get into the office, I've checked my emails. Um, so I, I enjoyed the um you know the 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 utility that these technologies brought and you could almost mm. see the the wave coming it was just the uis were pretty basic and you had to be a little bit of a tech head to navigate through them sure and then of course the iphone came and just blew it out of the water because anyone could use this and yeah you know what's interesting though is even if you think about all the friends that you've had uh over your life the actual physical design and shape of that phone changes quite significantly like I went from a brick to a slidey one my friends had flip phones and then as soon as sort of the iPhone came along it hasn't changed all that much hardly one big screen and that's it hardly they've gotten bigger yeah sure they've gotten bigger but besides that they haven't changed at all yeah in terms of like compartments and stuff like no, the sh- same sort of shape and style has stayed. It's almost like the innovation is a step graph, right? So it's, it linearly or exponentially goes up and then it plateaus and plateaus yeah. and then it waits for the next Steve Jobs to come through with some breakthrough and then it steps up and everyone copies and gets on the bandwagon and goes and then it's, you know, it's look, it's even, it's even like airplanes, you know. The jet plane, you know, the 747 was released in uh, 1969 mm hasn't changed that much you know like there's a bit more efficiency and things but it's not air travel the times are pretty similar the yeah. limitations are pretty similar and we what we 40 over 40 years later not much has changed but yet mm. until between you know nine when when the wright brothers whenever that was in 1969 the innovation was incredibly fast you know f- from biplanes yeah. to props to turbojets and jets and and so it's it's interesting the innovative forces it's really interesting to see the the velocity and and the rates of change and how some things get stuck and others don't yeah the one thing i miss the most though is snake Snake. i'm sure you can play i play pac-man on facebook messenger and it's Mm -hmm. and it's really they've it's the absolute got it to the t it's like yeah, exactly the it same wouldn't be the same <laughs> colored version with all the super graphics would not be the same as that little dotted line that went around on the do you remember the old snake i do yeah i do nothing's gonna beat that <laughs> i would buy the new 3310 just for snake <laughs> the nokia snake talk about games on phones right yeah anyway that's uh you're listening to kevin garber i'm the ceo of manage flitter and Kate Rappel, who's the design lead at Manage Flitter. And we enjoy putting this podcast together for you. I hope you're enjoying the show. You can always email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. You can tweet us at monkeypodcast. Um, someone tweeted us about um, the Phil Libin episode, Kate, and said uh, she really enjoyed it. And uh, she's, she's a huge user of Evernote. Um, and if you want to listen to previous podcast episodes, go to itsamonkey.com. Got some fantastic previous episodes, including our record-breaking interview with David Hanemeyer Hansen, where the stats have just 
they've just gone nuts. Um, through the roof. Through the roof, breaking all of our, our records. I'd love to have David on again and talk more about uh, leadership and their product and things like that. So maybe I'll be able to twist his arm. Um, and we've yeah. got some great interviews coming up in the next few weeks as well, which will be revealed as, as they happen they, in the pipeline. We're going to take a short break. And after we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about uh, work-life balance with Monique Velcor, who's done some research in the area. She's a Harvard Business Review contributor. She's an academic. She's an executive coach and um, does all sorts of exciting bits and pieces relating, relating to the area of work-life balance. So stay with us. We'll be back shortly. Hi, this is Dave with Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter is a tool that helps you work smarter and faster on Twitter. With ManageFlitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You'll also get useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to ManageFlitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. Now, we talk about everything related to tech, economy, entrepreneurship, and uh, our industry is famous for working hard and needing to work hard and to escape and to get what, what we call escape velocity and product market fits. Unfortunately, or fortunately, we all humans as well, which means that there's limits to what um, um, our physical bodies, our psyche can manage on a day-to-day basis. So I thought on this week on the podcast, we'll actually talk about how we how we get hold of this thing called work-life balance, um, whether it's your own business or whether it's your career. How do we manage these aspects of our career for the long haul? And I um, am, was was lucky enough that a tweet popped up on my timeline. I realized I, I follow an expert in the field. So I'm um, very excited to say um, with me on my Skype call today is Monique Velcor, who's an executive coach, management academic, Harvard Business Review contributor to talk about this, this very relevant topic. Monique, thank you very much for joining us all the way from France, I believe. That's right. Thank you, Kevin. I'm happy to be here. Monique, um, work-life balance, we've heard about it a lot. Um, I guess a lot of industries, including finance and tech, talk about it. I've noticed that there's been, every year there seem to be more and more rumblings and there seem to be a lot of pressure um, within companies, you know, right through the ranks to to create a culture and address this thing on the organizational level called work-life balance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, as you mentioned in your intro, these things like escape velocity uh, and so forth, I'm sure that your listeners are very familiar with the demands of being constantly connected to their businesses uh, and to the world of technology, needing to be always taking in new information and staying on top of the latest developments. And especially if you're in the startup world, um, the demands of getting your business up and running can mean that you are continuously on. Um, So that's something that more and more people are really experiencing as a a sense of, of sometimes overwhelm. You know, even if you love what you're doing, you may find that you're not able to take care of yourself physically the way you'd like to, or you don't have time to invest in relationships or activities outside of work like you'd like to or that you're really hooked um, to your technology and you have a hard time putting it down. Um, So between that and uh, between the fact that many of us are working across multiple time zones um, and that we feel, you know, that we really just can't afford to stop at all, it means that a lot of us are really getting overwhelmed. 
And so that's what I'm trying to uh, to push back against and to help people find that that right fit of being able to really invest in your success in your business and in your career and also really thrive um, as a person. I think also it's it's you know a lot of people that are attracted to startups are you know, what's used to be called a type A personality. I don't know if that's a term that's that's still used, but it's in in my understanding it's people that you know are very driven, are very um, you know outcomes focused, and their value system is very much about achievement and moving forward. And um, you know, one of someone once gave me a great tip where I said I you know I struggle to. When I've got so much work to do, I struggle to make time for myself or for exercise or things like that. And this person said, well, you need to trick your mind. Instead of saying um, that you're going for a run to exercise, you need to actually say you're going for a run to actually work on your business because if you're more well rested and your system's in better shape, you're going to actually be able to do better work. So you're actually tricking your mind according to your own value system, which tends to um, suit type A personalities, which is if their value system is is, is achievement and 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 if they're very aspirational. Is that is, is are those type of techniques or approaches? good ways for, for, for people to, in a way, trick themselves to achieve a, a balanced state, which is much more sustainable? Absolutely. I think that's a great piece of advice. I wouldn't necessarily frame it as tricking yourself. I would say frame it as making a choice to do what you care about most. And the what you said about you know, really aligning what you're doing, your actions with your deeply held values is is very much, uh, you know, a successful strategy that you can adapt to lots of different types of tasks. So just as you've indicated, if you find it challenging to set aside the time to exercise, but you can reframe that mentally as you're actually serving the goals that you care about most, um, that's a great way to do it. And, you know, you, you know, you're mentioning that there is a prevalence of type A people who are very achievement oriented, who thrive on a high level of activity um, in the tech world and in the startup world. And you also, of course, have a lot of people who are getting into startups because they really want to be determining their own way of life. And maybe they're coming out of a large company where they've been working for a while and finding that um, they don't want to be in that type of organizational system. And they want to define for themselves uh, a firm that's going to have a culture that matches them, that's going to allow them to structure their life the way they want to. So that's another set of motivations. And that's another set of values that you can use to invoke and to align with the activities that you really want to devote time to. So in general, as a principle, that's a fantastic way to proceed. Monique, what does the latest research show as a company is the best way to approach a work-life balance? Is it to um, have a strict nine to five and create that almost as a policy so that people go home, rest up and at least do one full day of work? Is it best to um, give them a lot of flexibility and let them determine? And, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's so many schools of thoughts you know, some companies, they pride themselves on the, um, you, you know, in even industries like investment banking, where they pride themselves on on working till late at night. Who knows? Um, I, I think one thing that some
sometimes people forget is productivity. I don't know how productive some of these um, extreme work cultures actually are. Is there any research around um, productivity um, and verse actually? Because as, as, as a business owner, what, what, what we're looking at achieving is enabling people to do their best work um, for the long haul in a way that doesn't burn them out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there is a ton of work on a um, ton of research on how you can best support employees to have high job performance and well-being. And I've done some of that research myself and a lot more of it has been done by colleagues and is continuing to be done. Um, and I would say that the most important takeaway uh, to my mind from that research is that regardless of what policies you put in place, what truly determines um, how well people are and how well people perform is not the um, the external policies or benefits, but it's really the underlying management culture. Because what happens is, you know, you may have an organization that has put in place, uh, oh, we have, you know, flex time or we have a, a child care center for employees who have children and you know, you have the ability to take a sabbatical, et cetera. But if there's an underlying culture, uh, as for example, in investment banking, one of the fields you referenced, that says, well, only serious, you know, people, the only people who take advantage of these things are people who are not serious about your career, their careers. Um, that what that does is it really negates the potential impact of those um, having those policies in place. So really the most important thing is how does the founder, how do the senior leaders, what's, what's their basic philosophy in terms of human motivation? How do they see their employees? How do they treat their employees? And to my mind, you know, I've spent about 20 years looking at these questions and also working with different companies. And um, while it is pretty beneficial to think through what kinds of policies can we put in place to support our workforce and help them to thrive and perform, um, I end up doing a lot of work with leaders to really dig down and get at um, how to help them be more um, empathically connected to their employees and understand at a more visceral level what kind of energy they're uh, they're pumping into their employees, or conversely, you know, if they're de-energizing their employees, that's something that is a big factor for burning employees out. Is there any um, research or discussion around perhaps a mix of the two scenarios where um, you go through periods where where people perhaps enjoy? burning the midnight oil and they, there's a special project. But on the flip side, then there's a great release and and going into cruise mode for a while. It's something I think about a lot because I sort of look at nature, right? And nature has, it's almost like I think of its sine wave cycles. You have storms and then calms, you know, calm before the storm, calm after the storm, but you have the storms. And 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 I'm wondering if, if somewhere in the middle where people, particularly aspirational people, do enjoy buckling down and, and being hyper-focused and hyper-committed, but then afterwards they actually need a period to re-energize before the next wave comes along. Yeah, that's a great observation, Kevin, and it's very true, um, both in terms of you know, the fact that people do need to re-energize, renew, and then they're ready for another sprint, and also that if you look at 
things on a longer term basis over the course of a person's working life. We go through different stages in our careers and it's very typical, um, you know, kind of the dominant uh, way to be working when you're in your 20s and early 30s is in this mode of really achievement centered work, looking to to learn as much as possible, to advance, to build. And oftentimes people are um, invested um, most heavily in their career at that stage in time. And then as people are in their, you know, late 30s, 40s, people are having children, they're building families, they might also be, you know, engaging in uh, their larger community or with their their larger families, etc. People are often look and they've kind of established a certain level of mastery, a certain level of achievement in their careers, they tend to be looking for uh, more of a sense of integration and balance. And then when you look at people who are in the later years of their career, what often becomes most important is to have a sense of doing work that's really meaningful. You know, and that may be that people are mentoring uh, younger people. They're really trying to influence um, the development of new leaders in their technology or in their industry, or they may be, um, you know, serving in leadership roles or on boards to help to um, shape the vision of future technologies, or they may be looking at um, kind of, you know, solidifying a sense of legacy of what they've done. So people do tend to move through this progression of achievement and learning to balance and integration to a sense of meaning um, and purpose so that those sine waves are, you know, they they occur on different frequencies, essentially. You can have people say, okay, I'm going to really sprint for the next nine months while we take um, this company public, and then I'm going to, you know, try and step back a little bit, go out into nature or, you know, run a marathon or something and then come back in strong. I think that's what um, some people in our industry, they, they get the one part right where it's, you know, we do have to be very committed to get this escape velocity, velocity. but if you don't fill yourself up on the other end, um, I mean, burnout is just, it's, it's almost just a given and then it's all, it's all over. And that's what I say to some of my friends. I just say you, you have to replenish yourself somehow, no matter what you're going through. It's just, if the outcome you want is productivity and getting somewhere, some, somehow at some time you have to fill yourself up back a little bit. It's just, it's a law of physics in a way. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways to fill yourself up. I mean, one of the things that I work with a lot with my clients is to really look at um, your energy resources as a human being and where is it, you know, that you really need to reinvest. For some people, it's just you can burn out because you're just working too many hours. You know, you're just not getting enough sleep. You're not getting out of the office. You're not eating well. You're not taking care of your body, etc. Um, for other people, it can be that you are um, not having enough powerful social connections. You know, there are people who are okay in terms of their stamina, but they may find that they've lost their um, their sense of mission or that their work doesn't have the same kind of motivational potential as it did before. And, you know, that at, at that stage, um, you know, it, it may be not so much a question of, 
taking a break and going away, but of refocusing on um, how to bring back into your work what it was that got you feeling excited about it in the first place or shifting a little bit what your um, what your focus is, putting yourself perhaps into more direct contact with your end users so that you can really uh, re appreciate to a greater extent what kind of an impact you're having. So there are different ways in which people's um, energy can get run down and depending upon what your profile is, what sort of stress you might be experiencing, there are different remedies for really bringing yourself back to peak performance and peak motivation. Do you find, I mean, you know, people like to talk about anecdotally the different attitudes and approaches in different countries, you know, Australia versus the US versus Europe versus China, etc. Do you find um, there is a, a difference on the cultural level or it's something that every culture perhaps likes to think that they're the most hardworking culture. I do find that a little bit people just, you know, in Australia, we like enough to have people from all sorts of countries and a lot of people say, oh, we, uh, you know, X, Y, Z country, we're known for our hard workers. I hear that from a lot of different um, nationalities. Yeah, no, there are absolutely um, important national cultural differences that have a big impact on the kind of work habits that get established and essentially where people draw meaning. Um, you know, so Australia tends to, um, you know, it, as with many Anglo countries, Australia, the US, Canada, um, the UK to a certain extent are countries that are tend to be fairly individualistic in nature where mm -hmm. achievement is valued where you have a sense of, you know, everybody can make it or, or fail on their own merits. Um, whereas other countries, you know, have much more of a collectivist orientation mm -hmm. and they're really, their identity is drawn much for, more from the group that you belong to, the organization that you belong to and what you are um, accomplishing collectively. And there's also a real difference uh, across countries in the extent to which People are very much focused on achievement versus focused on, you know, building the the collective group. So you look at, say, the Nordic countries where there's less, much less of a culture of long work hours. Um, and that's, you know, that that's less the case in Europe generally than in Anglo countries, but it really varies within Europe quite a bit as well. So you, you look to the Nordic countries and they really do take very seriously the idea that, no, we're going to, you know, keep the hours to a reasonable level. There really aren't that many people who are pulling the kind of crazy hours you would see in New York or probably in Sydney. I believe um, in Japan, you, you can't leave the office if your superior is still in the office and there's an there's a culture there of working extremely late i'm not sure how productive um it is but it's definitely they they work till all hours and you definitely can't leave until your direct manager above you has left the office that's right and in fact they have that term that you've probably heard before karoshi which is death by overwork um, so there's a lot of, you know, Japanese salarymen um, who are putting in incredibly long hours. And then, you know, you might have a social obligation to go out uh, and drink or go to karaoke with uh, your boss at the end of the day. So it really can be completely all consuming um, work environment. And, and death by overwork is a thing, right? I think there's been a couple of cases in New York where young investment bankers 
have actually um, literally, you know, they've passed away. I don't know if it's from a heart attack or just from sheer exhaustion. Or I think there's a few cases there which has, have forced some policy changes in those companies. Yes, absolutely. There was a, a, a pretty high profile one in um, in London a few years ago oh, right. as well, a mm-hmm. turn in investment banking who uh, who died after pulling several all-nighters. And, and so those types of things, you know, you look at something like investment banking where or, you know, say um, surgery and medicine where there really is an occupational culture of, uh, you know, you're expected to be almost superhuman um, and that doing that work of, you know, going day after day after day with very little sleep is uh, it becomes really part of your identity. But unfortunately, occupational identity isn't enough to overcome the realities of your physiology. So we do see um, plenty of examples in those extreme work hour um, occupations of people running into serious medical problems. I um, I grew up in South Africa and the, the medical profession there was just like in a lot of countries, the, the training process was very rigorous. And there was a case where a young uh, medical intern um, was leaving from an overnight shift on the way home from hospital and actually fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident and died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, that caused a big debate there. So this, this type of thing is real. And, I, and, you know, even in our industry, in the tech industry, um, developers have to be really um, fresh-minded on top of their game. Otherwise, they, um, you know, the, the, it really trickles down to productivity. And I think what we always have to ask ourselves is, are we being productive? You know, the, the trap of being busy yes. is a, and feeling busy or looking like we're busy, but are we actually being productive? And we really have to be honest with ourselves um, because sometimes when we're tired or we're pushing ourselves, it's, we, we're better off just leaving it, um, you know, until the next day. It's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes, particularly if you're in, I wouldn't say crisis, but if there's a lot of pressure to deliver or, or get something out the door, it's really hard to, to leave it and come back to it tomorrow um, it, even if you know on some level that that is that is the better thing to do there's there's this human drive to just just keep at it and and try and make progress on it for sure yeah and that's there's a real culture too of busyness i i mean i i'm american as you can tell from my accent i've been living in france since 2009 but um you know, I can remember living in the U.S. that when you would say to somebody, hello, how are you? It would be more likely that they would say, oh, I'm I'm so busy instead of I'm well. <laughs> you know, so it becomes a lot of times like a badge of honor that people draw a sense of their own meaning or their their identity from just how many plates they're spinning at the same time. And, you know, sometimes having that frenetic pace is partly, you know, it can become quite insidious. Everybody else is doing it. It seems like, oh, this is just how we operate. Some companies get into the mode of actually operating that way. You know, there are some companies that just run in continual crisis mode, and it's like people get kind of an adrenaline buzz off of it. Um, But it's true that it is not um, very sustainable over the long run. So, you know, particularly when you're working with a team that you really – work well with, that you enjoy your your team members, you enjoy your work, you're intellectually excited by it, it's very easy to, to push it too hard. 
Um, so there has to be both, you know, individuals being in touch with kind of how am I doing? Where's my energy? How well am I performing? And where do I need to, you know, what do I need to do to maintain that? And sometimes that means, um, you know, stepping back a little bit and slowing down. And also in companies, part of what you need to do if you're a leader is to, to be taking the pulse of the energy level in your firm and make sure that you're not um, burning people out because it's easy it's easy to, to really run the engine too hot. It is. And as a as an owner entrepreneur, I definitely definitely aware that that temptation is is you know is I wouldn't say a temptation but particularly times of challenge where where you want to get over, get over some humps um, it's easy to lose sight of the big picture we've got a term in Australia where people I don't know if it's used in America but a lot of the time when you ask people how you're doing they'll say flat out yeah yeah right so that's 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 we, we we hear that a lot yeah so i do think i do think i mean one of the points you brought up that you know a lot of people do enjoy working with their teams and the the projects that they are on i do think actually you know in the in the western world um particularly in a lot of white collar jobs a lot of people do actually enjoy what they do and they they actually do get meaning from it and they may take that a little bit too far at the price of some other aspects of their life Yep, for sure. And it's also, I mean, if everybody else around you is doing the same thing, it can seem as though there actually is no choice, that this is just the way of the world. Um, you know, I spent, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, I my primary activity at this point in time is as a coach, but I spent um, about 15 years uh, working as a management professor, you know, in, in, on the tenure track and tenured. And in that world in academia, there's just this constant pressure to anytime you're not dealing with, you know, teaching or meeting or meeting with students, et cetera, that you have to be working on your research because you've got to publish, 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 keep publishing. And it's really easy um, to fall into a trap where you feel like it's you just can't ever stop working on that. And so it's been, uh, you know, I realized once I stepped back a little bit from that uh, particular culture that I, ha I truly hadn't even had a real weekend where I wasn't either you know, going off and spending a couple hours doing email or doing a little bit of edits or taking care of some task. And I just constantly um, had it on my mind as well. You know, I really was never able to let go of work. Um, so it's been uh, it's been really liberating to learn how to do that better in my career currently. And, and despite the physical impacts that we spoke about, there's obviously mental health impacts in the in the startup world, a few years ago in LA and San Francisco, there was a real um, spate of suicides in our industry. You know, terribly tragic, um, and you know, mostly young or youngish people. Not that it's uh, you know makes it any any difference, but um, and there was a lot of discussion about the pressure, um, you know, the work pressure, the expectations, even the fact that um, you have to be showing success to your staff, your investors the press, no matter what's going on, um, working crazy hours, and that deteriorates the mental health, or it can do. And if people are not checking in with themselves or being self-aware to, to replenish themselves or counterbalance that, that just, just it can be a train wreck. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, you know, that you emphasize that there was a lot of this, you know, that there were suicides among young people, because 
Um, there's also, you know, particularly like Silicon Valley in LA, the West Coast of the US, it is a real culture of youth as well. And I mean, I've even heard of men in their early 30s who are feeling like they need to have some sort of cosmetic surgery because they're afraid that they're starting to be seen as, you know, over the hill, as not as um, kind of vibrant as they previously were as their younger colleagues. Um, you know, so it's crazy how that kind of culture can take over. And I think what can really help, I know what helps me is, you know, the word perspective, it, it's thrown around a bit, but it really does help if it's so easy, particularly if it's your own business or, you, or you're working in a startup, it's so easy to start feeling like that your entire existence and meaning and, and, and you're defined by this thing. But if you, you know, if you actually spend time with people on the weekend in other industries or, or do charity work or, or, or lucky enough to travel to other places or go camping, you actually do get this wonderful perspective that no matter what happens in the business, in the professional life, the good or the bad that happens, life is going to go on. I've got other options and I've just, as important as it is, I need to maintain perspective that, um, you know, it isn't a life and death situation, even though it may feel like that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, what you're saying, like going out into nature, camping, something like that, you really do get reminded that, yeah, this planet is turning independently of you personally. And, you know, you could you could vanish tomorrow and um, and it, you know, the larger world would remain as it is. So it, it is good to uh, to be able to step back a little bit and have a different view on your activity. The, the sun always rises, right? I mean, one day it won't in 10 billion years or something, but at the moment I think we can be rest assured that uh, no, no matter where, whether we launch the product or not, um, the new product, is, the sun is always going to rise. Right, exactly. Monique Valcourt, executive coach, management academic, Harvard Business Review contributor really appreciate you staying up late at night for us a great chat important topic and thank you for joining us on the podcast it's my pleasure thank you so much kevin the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog use check dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors broken links and broken images all with the push of one button CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, do you and your friends talk about work-life balance or when you guys were at university did you factor that in a lot was it a discussion um not particularly i mean it sort of comes up now uh now that everyone's sort of got full-time jobs and uh working away some people are in jobs they don't necessarily like um and part of the reason they don't like it is because it dominates their life so much you know they feel like they have to get into work really, really early and stay super late and then they don't have time to do the things that they want to do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it sort of comes into play later. Like yeah. you don't think about it when you're studying. Yeah, I think I was trying to think back. I mean, I did uni a long time ago and, you know, admittedly I was with a group of type A people and um, so it wasn't it's, – it's, it's not really representative, I guess – but I, I can't remember ever 
talking about the work-life balance, I think things were also different in South Africa where people just wanted to crack on and get ahead. It was, it was um, more like America where you're either sort of at the bottom or you more towards the top. The, the middle ground was very thin there. So it was, mm. you know, no healthcare, no public transport. You had to, you know, there were quite so a, lo- a lot of expenses that you initially had to, had to cover. So there was a okay. lot of pressure. Whereas mm. in Australia, it's, it's, you've got healthcare covered, you've got transport covered. Um, you, you know, I think uh, I love Australia. It's probably one of the, the best countries to be um, middle, middle class, for lack of a better word. In, yeah. you know, and it's not such a bad option where in some other countries that, that there is not much of a middle class. So I think it didn't s- seem to come on our radar much. That being said, today, you know, as we spoke about in the interview, it, it, it is very relevant, even just for sustainability i'm sure some of your friends um p- perhaps think about leaving just because at some stage because they get burnt out right yeah i think so um a lot of it too is just not feeling appreciated i guess and um needed is another another core one i mean some people seem to like that you know the nine to five and it's just a job you know they live for the weekend but a lot of a lot of people still want to find purpose in what they're doing I think most people do. I think. I think even more so. You know. I think. I think in the West these days, where there's a breakdown of community and there's a lot of individualism, and you know, even the things such as a nuclear family and religion and all of that's so unusual that a lot of people get their meaning through work, right? And maybe yeah. in the old days they'd go to church on the weekend. Maybe some people do, but it's become more rare. Maybe there was communities. Maybe, but these days. People get a lot of their worth out of work, and if their work isn't lining up, um, they they look at changing that. and And part of that is to is to have that sweet spot of work life balance. I believe humans enjoy working hard at 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 in areas that they enjoy and they feel they can make progress at. I really mm. believe that they all enjoy it, but I think there's a sweet spot, and beyond that sweet spot, it becomes a grind and I think when it heads into that grind that's when the the problem starts yeah I mean Nick made a good point too that um motivation changes depending on how old you are Mm. so when you're younger you know you do I think I do feel that people get a lot more out of their job because it's more important to them and it's sort of a bigger aspect of their life than say someone who works part-time and and looks after their children the other part-time and their children obviously take a huge percent of their motivation and what they care about and their values um, are higher for family than they are for work. Yeah, it definitely impacts, um, you know, the phase of life. And I guess some companies, big companies, traditionally, I think it's changing, but traditionally they've exploited that. Some big corporates mm. where they all, they bring in tons of young people and work them to the bone and for a year and get so that they can get the, the brand on their resume yeah. and then bring in another batch That's and burn, burn them mm. out. And I've heard about this a lot like, um, lately, actually. People working for big companies and not necessarily getting paid what they're worth. Um, but, yeah, they just use their name and the, the fact that you've worked for that particular brand as, as the leverage. I, I went for an interview many, many, many years ago for an internet company, one of the first ones. I will not mention names. And um, I was 
having a chat with a guy and he took me into this cool office and we were sitting on bean bags and he proudly declared, he said, we don't pay market rate salaries, we pay below market rate because we believe this is a cool place to work. Mm. Yeah, it was very, very strange. This was in the heady yeah. days of the dot-com as well, right? Yeah. This is where, where the laws of physics were, were going crazy. Um, but it was very, I found that was a very strange statement to make, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think the industry's matured since then where gimmicks, people aren't stupid, gimmicks don't work, right? A ping pong mm-hmm. table's not going to make up for the lack of challenging projects or good team members, you know. Those are all nice to have, you know. Sure. It's fantastic that Google has um, great food and, and you know, it, I've been to the campus in Mountain View and they got like a beach volleyball thing there and it's, yeah. it's really nice that. But it's not going to, at the end of the day, most of the time you're sitting working, right? And you're working mm. with your peers and you're doing interesting projects. And by the way, that it wasn't Google, that company. So oh, okay. <laughs> just, just, just to put it out there, it wasn't Google. So I don't think mm. Google would do something as silly as that. But um, yeah, gimmicks, gimmicks don't give you meaning as well. No. I mean, they probably work as a lure for a lot of people. They think, oh, it's nice. And even if you just go for your interview and you see these things, you think, oh, this is an impressive place to be. And I want to be in this space. But, you know, are they the type of things that are going to keep someone around? Probably not. Yeah. I, I think pe- people, you know, especially in our industry, but in general, but in our industry, people are smart. They, they can see through BS, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that stuff is, is nice, but it's, um, I, I think a job is, is very much uh, around the people you work with, the projects that you have, and a place that you can do your best work. You know, I try to create a culture and an environment and the projects where people can do their best work. That, I believe that's where everyone, mm. you know, what everyone wants to some degree is to be able to do their best work. And it's uh, creating cultures. It's tough. It's a very slippery thing. And humans are not, um, not cookie cutter. And culture is a product of, of the CEO. And, and it's also a product of everyone else in there as well, yeah. right? Yeah, so it it's gets a pulled. mix. It's a mix and there's feedback loops everywhere and it's it's quite tricky to mm. to create that and some companies really get it right and some not so, not so much and it's it's a work in progress but um, I know that uh, Basecamp you, you know David Hanemar Hansen's company they very much say we strictly 9 to 5. I like that. They had a very mature part of their evolution as well, though. Mm. I think when you're trying to achieve escape velocity, sometimes it's all hands on deck and it's we're trying to compress time and sometimes that means, you know, longer hours and sometimes it's, it's it can be fun to a certain degree, as I spoke about in the interview, as long as there's a, a rejuvenation period. Yeah. Um, but it is quite nice to, um, you know, have that as a policy and you don't get this funny situation where people are just – Staying late to 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 look good. Yes. You know. No. Well, you're not. I think you mentioned actually in the interview about um, I think it was Jap- Japanese. Yes, Japanese yeah, they culture. They can't leave before their uh, Superior. direct manager. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, but uh, there's there's big cultural reasons for that, but. Anyway, you've been listening to episode number 82. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed the show. You can tweet us. You can email us. We love hearing from you. 
And um, please check back every Friday or Saturday. We get these podcasts out. Remember, you can subscribe with iTunes. You can subscribe on Stitcher. You can use your podcast app on Android. If you subscribe to it via the RSS feed, then it just pops in every week and you can just get it on demand. So um, why don't you do that? And you can go to itsamonkey.com to get links to all the stories and even comment on the show. We'll be back next week with another podcast episode. And thanks, as always, to Kate for being my co-host. And we'll see you next week. See ya.